in nothing. So if we look at the idea of the Old Testament teaching of this stump and the New Testament's teaching of the, of the growth that will happen for those of us who are rooted in the words of Jesus who is the very vine from which we grow. What are words that God gives you? What is God saying to you? When we begin to talk about hopeful growth, if you're a note taker, that's a great place for you just to write a little something in. What has, is God saying to you from his word about your very growth? What is God saying to you from the people around you as a secondary statement about your growth? How is God growing you? Because this passage seems to be very focused and fixated on us growing because of who Jesus is and how Jesus works. Step verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of the Lord will rest itself upon Jesus. This coming King who brings hope to the people of God. Where has Jesus ever said that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And why would that matter? Well, when we dig into the Old Testament, and we read passages before this one in Isaiah chapter 11, we look through the Scriptures and we see this idea of God's Spirit. But God's Spirit rarely rests. Numbers chapter 11, 21 is one of the few places where we see God's Spirit rest anywhere. But most of the time, God's Spirit swoops in and swoops out. A powerful presence that rests for a moment... That will lay down on the prophets so that they can speak a word of the Lord. Or the Spirit of the Lord will even rest on morons like Saul. But the Spirit of the Lord doesn't stay there. The Spirit of the Lord here. This coming King. What Jesus says in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We'll look at that a little more in depth in a few moments. But the Spirit of the Lord is fully on me. The Spirit of the Lord never leaves him. What's the difference in the two? I have four kids. We've locked them away in our next generation area here at the church. And the way that I parent and the way my wife parent, it, it works a little differently. And if I've got any dads in the room, they'll give me a good amen right now. Am I right? It, it works a little differently. You're just praying that she gets home. Some days you pray that she comes home. You're like, I need someone here to rescue me. You are hopeless in those situations. I am literally, you are figuratively. <laughs> so those kids are back there in the, and they're in the house. And things just get crazy. My, my older two boys are wanting to throw football in the living room. And I'm trying to shut that down. But I've got a little girl who's like spray painting the whole house. Alder's out back. He's our two-year-old. He's smoking a cigar. It's a very strange deal. But I'll have those sweet moments, Dad. We all have those moments where we say things and we're like, that was the wisest thing ever. We walk out and we start like bouncing our back against the doorpost to pat ourselves. It's not like that for my wife. It's peace. It may be loud. She's never not under control. It's there. 
the Spirit of the Lord showing up in Saul is very much like me. I've got my moments, but I blunder a lot of them. But the Spirit of the Lord, when He makes Himself known in Jesus, the hope-filled coming King, it's never not present. Which is bad grammar, but really good Bible. <laughs> Jesus is the shoot. Well, where does the Scriptures affirm this idea of Jesus having the Spirit of the Lord upon Him fully? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Hear this read. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus may be supreme. For by Jesus all the full, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of the cross of Jesus the Bible is really about Jesus and Jesus is Jesus' biggest fan and if that sounds weird to you I just want to be honest if Jesus is not his biggest fan then we are in a world of hurt but our hope is Jesus Where does that resting spirit of Jesus make itself known in you? As we look and we hear who this Jesus is. Because what you tell me, those of you who say you have a relationship with Jesus, is this king that Isaiah prophesies. By the power of His Spirit never leaves you. Tell me about those spirits. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The aim of all counsel and all power is to know and fear God. And the stump of Jesse, this hope-filled king, possesses all that is necessary to reset the world's rebellion. Because Jesus is clothed in the kind of wisdom this world that says this world belongs to God, even when it doesn't seem that way. Jesus is unshaken by everything that shakes us. There is no moment in history where Jesus has said, Oh my me, what will I do? Jesus says in Matthew five seventeen, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. Jesus says in, in John chapter 16, verses 33, Take heart, I've overcome the world. In Acts chapter 17, when we affirm that by what the Bible teaches as a whole, fortifying this message of Jesus, it says this. It says, From one man he created every nation of men, so that we may live and we may move and we may have our being. 
He's not far from any of us. I keep pointing out these as the words of Jesus and not simply saying that this is what the Bible says because I really want us to hear this. If we're not careful, we miss that the Bible is the way that Jesus talks to us. Jesus is, we we hear from him and know him and experience him and walk with him because the Bible is all about him. Any faith system that doesn't believe that is an, it's a poor faith system. Verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So this coming king... This joy that he finds, our hope-filled Messiah. He trembles at anything that would displease the Lord. In his humanness, we see that. In the, in the book of Matthew, we, we see Jesus moving towards the cross. Because honestly, this Christmas story, it's an unfulfilled one. This Christmas story finds its complete fulfillment in the crucifixion of Jesus. In the resurrection of Jesus. It says this, going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed. And, and Jesus said this, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass away from me. I don't want it. Anybody ever been there? Nevertheless, not as what I will, but what you will. To please you. It says this in verse 3. He he shall not judge by what his eyes see. Or decide by disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. We see scripture fully wrapping around the idea. That what God has been moving towards accomplishing as we matriculate through the Old Testament finds its satisfaction finds its definition finds its everything in this king who has made himself known who is going to say not my will but yours and when he points out that he's not going to judge by what he sees it's letting those of us who read this know that Jesus sees beyond our moment. Or decide disputes by what he, he gets to hear everything. But with righteousness he'll judge the poor. And decide with, with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his own mouth. And the breath of his lips he shall, with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. We see some scriptures that affirm this. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, continuing through verse 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's his righteous judgment. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set liberty to those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come to do what God intended for the Messiah to do. First John 4, 16, but through 18, fortifies this idea. So we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And, who, and, and God abides in him. 
By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are we in the world. There's no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear. We're talking about this fear of the Lord and we're saying if you're resting in the Lord, everything else should not scare you. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Everywhere that Jesus goes these things are made present. And if you want to follow righteous and faithfulness then you watch this. And this imagery is of an, an area that is just there. So, so I, I, I love basketball. You can't tell. I'm not in the shape of a basketball player. I'm in the shape of a basketball. And, but I've always loved to play. And I'm not the fastest guy on the basketball court. I'm not the, the best shooter. I'm really one of those guys. If basketball were hockey, I'm one of those guys who throws down his stick and pulls a guy's jersey over his face. I'm just there to bruise. But when you're guarding anyone in basketball, if you're anywhere within the step of that person, what you're told to do is to not watch the ball, which is really hard. Do I have any basketball players in the room? All right, Texas. That's how there's one of us. Uh, you don't watch the ball. You don't watch feet. You don't watch eyes. If you're playing basketball, the place where you're told to focus is on the waist. Because they can't go anywhere that their waist doesn't go. You follow that area so that they don't lose you. And what this is saying here, as it gives us very good, a good picture... As when we look at Jesus, if we want to follow righteousness and faithfulness, then you focus here. Because these things will not get beyond you. Because this is who Jesus is in full. Righteous, faithful. Uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. I don't know if you know this story. He, he walks up to Jesus. Young man who has absolutely everything. He looks like Zac Efron. His hair is in full place. And when he looks at Jesus, he says, and he has all of the money in the world. Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, everybody in that world would have looked at him and said, that guy's already got the kingdom of God in place. And Jesus said, well, why are you calling me good? Not, not denying that he is. Why are you calling me righteous? So we realize that Jesus is righteous because he feels the freedom to answer him. When Jesus tells him, you know what the Bible says. Like literally, you know what Scripture says. Well, I've done every bit of that. Well, you've not done everything. Because in the story, Jesus says, you have one thing that you've not done. So go sell all your stuff. Then you can follow me. Jesus answers as the one who is righteous. 
Scripture fortifies the righteousness of Jesus, where it says in Romans chapter 1, for in it, it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's Paul affirming Jesus as who Jesus has said that he is. Look, I, I love Advent. Christmas was a really hard time for me. It's weird because my, my family dynamic growing up was super strange. But I love when we begin to look at the core of what Scripture says about this very season. We are saying as believers in Jesus that we have attached ourselves to hope. And that this hope is eternal and this hope is unchanging and this hope is, is for us, that God has, is not against us. That we've attached ourselves to hope and hope is good. Shepard and I, we read more books than I read to my other children because there are so many of them. But I remember sitting down to read through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with him. Anyone read that to their kids? We really need to work on things that you've done so that you can raise your hand when I ask questions. <laughs> nope. We just keep the world from blowing up here. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the story of the Pevensey children. It's a world, set in World War II. They move into a home. They find a wardrobe the, the little girl does. Her name's Lucy. She meets this goat man on the other side. Her brother eventually goes into it. It gets bad for him because he does eat this stuff called Turkish Delight, which, from what I hear, tastes terrible, but this kid was into it. So when they go to rescue him, they don't know where their brother is. The, 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 the older two, looking for their brother, they've put on fur coats from the closet before it was illegal to wear animal skin. And when they go in, they meet a talking beaver. And the beaver begins to tell them of the one who his hope is in. And the one who his hope happens to be in is the Christ figure in the story. A symbol of Jesus. He happens to be a lion. A powerful, roaring lion. In the midst of a world that is always winter and never Christmas. They're laid down, they're a wasteland. And the older sister, as she's talking to the beaver, hears him say this Aslan, that's the, the lion's name. I know that we're more Mufasa people and Simba people, but Aslan is Lion Primo Uno in the Bible. Not the Bible, might as well be. Just get, we gotta need to move on. Um, Aslan is a lion. This is from the beaver. The talking beaver. Work with me. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. And Susan said, Ooh. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? 
I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And the beaver replies, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. I don't want any of you to think that coddling up to Jesus will make your life safer and simpler. Because it doesn't. In many ways, it makes our lives rougher. But every point in, this, in the Word seems to be taking us to this Jesus. As the hope-filled king that we read about, it, it seems to let us know that this Jesus holds eternal ramifications for us. And though this world may not always feel safe, we, we, I mean, right now in this room, some of you have dealt with a lack of safety. Jared's been singing songs every week. He doesn't have a house. He flooded. God's called some of you in here to move to other places. Some of us have been walking through the difficulty of sick kids, no matter if they're 2 or 25. But you don't put your faith in that circumstance. You put your faith in the one who holds that circumstance in his hand. Because he's the king. And he's good. He's hope. So let us this season think about the hope-filled king that we have met in Jesus. Because if not, if we do not focus on him, here's what you'll worry about. You'll worry about Black Friday specials. You'll worry about arguing with a lady at Walmart about whether or not she said Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. Or you'll worry about a dumb cup. Christmas is bigger than that. Because Christmas is about a king. And none of those circumstances shock him. So let's lean into hope. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We pray that all that scripture teaches us about you will help us to live our lives shaped by you. We have a king who is good. And we're going to... I want to lean into that. We ask all this in your powerful name, coming king, who ransoms the captives, who gives sight to the blind and, and life to those who are dead. We ask all this in your name.